The Holy Gospel according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I gave you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. This short gospel reading that we have today is really an astounding reading in my mind, especially when we kind of put it where it should be, when we kind of look at what's going on around here. Because what's astounding in this reading is what comes before it and what comes after it. Now, if you know your Bible fairly well, you know that the 13th chapter of John is pretty famous it's where we get the foot washing and the new command, as we hear today, to love one another just as Christ has loved us. And now we hear the part in full before this on Monday, Thursday, on that, that day in Holy Week when we, when we celebrate the, the, the first Lord's Supper, when we share with our young people, many of our young people in their first communion often in those years. And Monday is not a mispronunciation of Monday. It's not Monday, Thursday. But Monday means command. So we get this new commandment, commandment from Jesus. Not be good, be perfect, you know, do this or else, but love one another. And we hear this part in full at that service. Pretty much, anyway. In fact, when we were um, looking at, this, at these words from Jesus today in our preschool chapel, we kind of asked the question, well, what does this love look like? And so we actually did, had one of the kids from each class come up, and we did a little mini foot washing kind of a thing. That was pretty cool to do with preschoolers, I have to say. So curious. <laughs> so take into account the context of Jesus' words today, that they aren't spoken as an idea or kind of, a, kind of an ethical encouragement, but as something actually lived out by God in the flesh. You know, in the season of of kind of graduation speeches, um, these words aren't spoken from some black-robed uh, superstar, you know, on a podium and to out to thousands of students who are gathered to graduate. They are spoken from a God in the flesh who is literally wrapped in this wet and dirty towel that he has just used to wash the feet of those who walk dusty roads in sandals without access to a shower or even much water. I had a friend I used to work with, and her great fear was that her husband 
would not be able to reach his feet when he was older, and she would have to wash them for him, right? It's not the, the nicest job. So the before, anyway, of our, of our word today paints this picture for us, the, the foot washing. And then, of course, if we follow the Holy Week pattern to Good Friday, we know what comes after the crucifixion, right? And these words, again, are not just words that are spoken to love one another, but they are lived out to the next level, to the ultimate level, as Jesus dies on the cross. But it's interesting because in all of those Holy Week services that we have, we never actually get to what is immediately on either side of this short gospel for today. It says in the beginning of our gospel, after he had gone out. And I read that and I thought, where did Jesus go out from? So I looked ahead. It isn't Jesus who had gone out. Do you know who it is? This is the wake-up time, the wake-up question. Judas, yes, all right, biblical scholars in the house. And why had he gone out? This one's a little easier. To betray Jesus. I heard betray mumbling along there. And if we skip to the end of our reading, Peter seems to miss this whole command to love one another. And he focuses instead on what Jesus said a little bit before that. He said, where I am going, you cannot come. You cannot follow. And Peter, as Peter does, doesn't like to be controlled. I'm not like that, of course, and neither are you. But Peter doesn't like to be controlled. He doesn't like to be told what he can and cannot do. And so like a pumped-up soldier, he says that he will go wherever Jesus goes. And here's the really ironic statement that Peter makes. He actually says he will lay down his life for Jesus. Not die with him, but actually die in his place. All right, now wake up question number three. What does Peter actually do? Yeah, and it's number three question because he denies him three times, right? Now, I want to I note something here that I have, have always thought was, again, just fascinating in this whole passage. And it's actually consistent in the Gospels. There's not a foot washing in the other Gospels, but in all of the Gospels, both Peter and Judas are communed. And in this gospel reading, Judas has his feet washed by Jesus. Jesus kneels before the one who will most directly betray him and washes the muck off of his feet. That's powerful to me, at least. But notice how Judas and Peter also kind of stand like representatives of humanity. Now, again, not you, of course. You are the exception to this rule, right? But all those people out there, right? Those who deny, those who betray. And not me, of course, because as we know from the scriptures, the priests and religious leaders were the first to advocate for Jesus that he not be crucified, right? So I'm, I'm an, an exception as well, thankfully. But back to reality and back to this story. <laughs> in one way or another, pretty much everybody in the story runs or betrays or denies and even after the resurrection, we know that everybody hides. Yet in the midst of their betrayal, in the midst of their denial, in the midst of their fear and running away, God stays consistent from the beginning to the end. None of it changes who God is in Christ. So bookended by betrayal that will lead to his glory, 
And I know some people this week got really tongue-tied on the whole glorify, glorify, glorify in him, me and him, him and I. But really all John is saying is, and all Jesus is saying in John here, is that my glory is on my throne, which actually in John is the cross. This is Jesus' throne. But bookended by all of this betrayal, Jesus will not turn away from his mission of love and salvation for them, for us, and for all people. When Pastor Mike lifts those elements today, he's going to say something right in the beginning, and I don't want you to miss it if you've missed it before. Hear the words today again. In the night in which he was betrayed. Let that kind of fall on you today and then hear what comes after. I know you've got it memorized, but really listen to what comes after. What is the consistency despite the betrayal? Because in the midst of your betrayal, in the midst of your mess-ups and my mess-ups, your one-time oops and those recurring sins that you can't seem to shake, God comes to you. Forgiveness washes over you. Transformation happens to you and even in you. And here is the gospel, if it's anywhere in this word today. Now that we are in this Easter season, now that Jesus is raised, now that he has breathed his spirit into the disciples and into us, we carry this love from our beginning to our end. It is a part of us. It is knit into our very body. It is the transformation that keeps us grounded and consistent in a world whose grip on hope is slipping and fast. Now, this love doesn't remove Jesus from his situation. It doesn't remove him from his betrayers. It doesn't remove him from his death. And it doesn't remove us from the realities of the world either. In fact, it sends us in. But it gives us eyes to see a future filled with hope. A word that is backed up by the physical presence of God as far as sharing that hope. It clears our vision to witness and to grab on to what God might be doing in the world today. Notice how that, that seeps into our reading from Acts today. In fact, that Acts reading seems eerily familiar to me. Peter goes and he eats with the unclean, and then he becomes uh, kind of under the... Under the uh, um, what am I trying to say? Under the magnifying glass, under the scrutiny of the church leaders. I mean, that sounds a little bit like what happened to Jesus again and again. But something very different happens here. Where does it all change when Peter's talking to them about what happened? Where does it all change? Did you notice that? This is a tough question, but it's wake-up question number four. What does he say happened? He had a vision, yes, he had a vision, but at the end of the story, what happens with those new believers? The Spirit, the Spirit. Peter says, the Spirit fell upon them just like it did for us. And, they, and, it's, and it's like they reply, oh, they have the same Spirit of love that Jesus poured on us. They have the same hope, they have the same promise. God has transformed them and renewed their hearts and minds. This was not a small debate about whether those new believers had to kind of come into the Jewish rituals and practices in order to be part of the way, in order to follow Jesus, because this was still kind of a branch of Judaism at the time. It wasn't a small, 
small question. But when they found that the Spirit had been poured out, they were like, we are in. And they didn't just accept it, they rejoiced. In your baptism, you have received the Spirit of love. In the word today that is read and preached, you have received the Spirit of love. In the meal today, you will take in this Spirit of love, and it will actually go into your body. And whether you are here every week or here for the first time, Jesus will fill you. Whether you see yourself as an insider or as an outsider, Jesus will fill you. Not with an idea, not with a concept, not with a philosophy, but with himself. As we, as we get that beautiful revelation of John, heaven come down to earth. Not with a general idea of love, but with his unending, unconditional love that will give you what you need to be a window of hope in a dark world. It's not that you might be. You, you might choose to push it down. Yes, you have that freedom. But it's not that you might be. It is that you are filled this day with love. And you carry that out into the mission field. Now, I know what you're thinking. Blah, 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 love. God is love. Yeah, we've heard all that before. But I heard a mom this week say that she feels kind of like a broken record. She's always talking about love, right, to her kids. Because her oldest keeps coming home with drama. Maybe this story stuck with me because it hits close to home with my tweener as well. But someone, she'll come home and she'll say, well, this happened or that happened or this person did this or said that. And the mom said, I feel like I always say the same thing. Well, how can we love them like Jesus loved us? I sound like a broken record, don't I? No. I don't think she sounds like a broken record at all. I think she sounds like a broken Savior who has been made alive again and lives in you and me and in all of us. Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.